You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It is Wednesday, January 20th at 4 p.m., just after market close here in New York. I'm going to be talking with Ed Harrison today, but before I speak with Ed, let's kick it over to Jack Farley with today's stories. Thanks, Max. Today, the S&P 500 reached new all-time highs. Gold rallied alongside oil. The VIX eased a sigh of relief, and Treasury yields barely budged. This as Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. President Biden called on the nation to, quote, start afresh, saying simply, without unity, there is no peace. Our very own Peter Cooper was actually in the nation's capital and captured this historic day from the streets. Today was an important and historic day in many ways. It's the first time the U.S. has had a female vice president. It's the first time since 1869 that a president didn't attend the inauguration of his successor. It's historic in many ways, but can I be honest, I can't stop thinking about the banks. Today, Morgan Stanley reported wins across the board, revenues of $13.6 billion for the fourth quarter. That's 18% above the 11.5 expected, and it's up 16% year over year. Its equities trading division grew its top line by 30% year over year, which is good, but actually it's on par with its competitors. Keep in mind that Morgan Stanley is the kingpin when it comes to trading equities. So its results in FIC, or fixed income commodities and currencies, was actually much more impressive, which grew 31% year over year. Remember, Morgan Stanley, more than almost any other bank, focuses on Wall Street banking, not Main Street banking. So it's not so much uh, taking deposits from grandma and lending to the grandson, giving him a mortgage so he can buy a house. It's more about trading, more about buying and selling, about making markets, making deals, uh, underwriting loans, that sort of thing. Um, So interesting, Morgan Stanley had an uninspired jump on earnings, but it's actually down on the day. Uh, Maybe the good news was priced in, or maybe the investors think that the days of trading bonanza are numbered. Who knows? All I know is that the main street banks today, U.S. Bancorp and BNY Mellon, had horrible trading days. As I'm recording this now, they're actually down the most within the S&P 500, meaning that for today, they're literally the worst stocks in the entire index. It's interesting because the loans on commercial bank balance sheets have actually fared miraculously well. Um, Just looking at U.S. Bancorp, credit card delinquencies were down as consumers used stimulus money to pay down debt. The utilization of commercial lines of credit was also down as companies were paying down debt themselves. And even the losses in commercial real estate don't look too cataclysmic. But for non-investment banks, two problems loom large. Number one, declining volume of loans. And number two, shrinking net interest margins. That's all for me. Back to you, Max. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thank you for that, Jack. Well, Ed, it's Wednesday again. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me, is what I should be saying to you. Actually, it's great to talk to you again. Well, I, I might be the host, but we all know who sets the schedule here. Um, so it's been good to, to do these Wednesdays and we get to catch up on a weekly basis about how you're looking at the market. 
Last week, we went through three scenarios. I, I think it's more like three and a half, four scenarios if you really get down to it. But we, we kept it at three just to keep it simple um, surrounding the reflation trade and, and your three scenarios. So I think just for everybody who missed that, uh, let's quickly run through what those three scenarios are, and then we can do a little bit of updating, and, and then we have some some news, which which really plays into it. Excellent. Let's do that. And also, you know, it just occurred to me that last time uh, you, you uh, took it easy on me. You didn't give me the pushback that you like to do. So feel free to uh, bring out the brass knuckles this time, okay? All right. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a little bit. <laughs> so uh, the three scenarios are the flattening of the yield curve. Uh, uh, and then that's that's a scenario in which basically the growth rate sucks and the yield curve flattens as a result of that. The second scenario is one where the steepening that we saw early in, in the year continues uh, to a point where there's a breaking point of some nature. And uh, we don't know what that breaking point is and, and exactly what would happen. But that's a, a steepening before the economy actually recovers because we still have you know, a number of months before everyone's vaccinated and we can get out of this whole COVID era. And then there's the last one, which is that the COVID era, era is over and we get to the vaccinations. And only then, once we get to the, the promised land, if you will, uh, do we have the steepening of the yield curve. We remain in that 110 level that we are now. Maybe we go up slowly, but there's no abrupt break up higher. Okay. And so then which of those scenarios are we in right now and what are the potential outcomes and then how will that affect markets? Yeah. So right now we're in uh, one of the last two scenarios. That is, is we've seen the yield curve steepen over time. Uh, there was a bit of an uptick in terms of the steepening in the beginning of the year. Uh, we've come back from that. We were at 119 on the 10 year. Now we're at more like 108 on the 10 year. That's completely within the realm of, of reason. Uh, there's nothing to get alarmed about in that case. If we were to stay and chop around in that level, great. We could do that for months and then come out on the other side. But there's the, still the potential that 119 is a precursor to something that's going to happen going forward. Uh, maybe it's not just that people are thinking, okay, we have a new administration, we're gonna get lots of stimulus, we have these vaccines, lights at the end of the tunnel, and therefore we can discount that positive economic scenario. They're also thinking inflation. And as a result, we need to uh, get out of treasuries now because yields are going to go up. So that's the, uh, the last scenario where actually the steepening that we saw in early January continues in some capacity. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, the big risk that I think you have been highlighting is the potential that that steepening turns into flattening uh, because the reflation is not is not real and that this is this is the market maybe getting ahead of itself. And part of that is based off of, you know, negative real economic outcomes in relation to the damage that's already been done due to COVID, which the market has underpriced and the potential for continued economic damage due to COVID, which is is not priced. Um, at, at this point. So, you know, I know that you are keenly focused on this new variant that's coming out and why you think that that could do uh, more damage. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the reflation trade is basically, it's not about inflation, it's about reflation, meaning the economy coming back. Uh, the way that markets are priced now, by and large, across a wide swath of different assets, is that 
we're going through a temporary lull, but uh, governments, uh, both from the fiscal side and the monetary side, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at this thing. And then when we get to the other side of that, there's a lot of pent up demand because people have uh, a lot of savings. They haven't been able to go out and do things that they want to do. They're going to do that in great number and, and it's all going to be well. So this reflation bidding up asset prices, that's the, the narrative that's happening now. The problem with that narrative is uh, what happens if actually uh, the tunnel that we're looking at before we get the, ro the full rollout of the vaccine is, is long. What also happens in that tunnel in terms of inflation instead of reflation might be a big problem because just because uh, you have nominal GDP growth going up doesn't mean it's going up for good things. Just because you know inflation is going up 3% or 4% doesn't mean that the earnings, me as a company, my top line going up as a result of that increased inflation is going to fall to the bottom line. So it's not necessarily something that's positive for shares or for, for income, and certainly it's not good for yields. And yields are the discounts for those earnings. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of how we think about uh, where the, uh, the, the, the vaccine variants uh, come into play. So these two variants that I was talking about, that is uh, the South African variant and the British variant. The latest news that I saw which is from The Guardian, a study that they did, they said that coronavirus vaccines may actually need to be redesigned uh, to boost protection against these variants, particularly the one that emerged rapidly in South Africa. Uh, research by the South African government scientists revealed that mutations of this particular variant, which is known as 501YV2 or B1351, it makes the, uh, the the variant substantially resistant to antibodies and blood plasma do donated by COVID patients. You know, ergo, the vaccines that we have now may not protect you against that variant, and they may not protect you against the British variant. So that's a that is a scenario where the tunnel actually lengthens, and in that period of time during the tunnel lengthening, a lot of bad things can happen. Okay, so it's it's a double-edged sword really in that you have yields higher which is affecting the multiples that that the equities could be trading at so you could have you know this effect on multiples but then you could also have the effect on earnings which in its way plays back into multiples so earnings could be hit hard by the negative economic outcome and then the rising yields um are are affecting the you know the dcf models that people are using to to come up with what is a fair price for these equities um I, I myself have, have always struggled a little bit with the difference between inflation and reflation and why I say a company can is, is not going to be as affected by reflation, in fact, is, is going to benefit from reflation, whereas inflation, uh, the, the company is not able to, to pass that on to, say, the consumer um, and, and it affects the bottom line. But why is inflation so much more detrimental to, to a company's bottom line than, than the reflation narrative, which, which people tend to say is, is positive? So, yeah, I mean, if you look at nominal GDP growth and you say that it's going up uh, by 2% as an example, uh, you could have that 2% be the result of a, a real increase of 2% in GDP growth or as a result of inflation. So if uh, the 2% is as a result of real GDP growth and we say that the S&P 500 is 
going to be affected in the order of 2% on average, let's just say, uh, then we would expect their top line to go up by 2% without a concomitant increase in their tax base, in, in their cost base. So a lot of that profit then falls to the bottom line. Whereas on the other hand, if you have inflation, uh, their cost base goes up, sometimes maybe even more than their revenues go up. And so they're somewhat constrained and they still have to deal with the fact that the discount rates are higher. So scenario number two is worse than scenario number one. So inflation is not necessarily the same thing as reflation from my perspective. Okay. So, so you asked for a little bit of pushback and, and I'll give you some. My thing is the scenario that you're that isn't included in your framework is yes, we we price in this this positive economic outcome, the end of the tunnel. Um, and yeah, maybe it takes a little bit longer um, and we get ahead of ourselves, markets get ahead of themselves, but we're not too far off. And and the, the predictions, I mean, the market being a forward-looking uh, mechanism is, is reasonably right. And so, no, we don't have a big rally on, on the positive economic outcomes after when they finally do do come through and, and we're out the other side, but it has been priced in in this period. And so this is where the money is to be made, is, is pricing in this economic outcome. And yeah, you are taking some risk in the potential negative economic outcome, but you know that's that's the game. That's the game of markets is, is, is making predictions and forecasts. If it was all perfectly priced, then it'd be nice flat straight lines uh, for us to talk about on our charts. And so you know, how are you thinking about that potential that that yes, we are ahead of ourselves, there is risk, but if we come out the other side and those risks don't materialize, the money will have been made in this period. Yeah, so buy the rumor, sell the news is what yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, essentially. Right. Uh, you know, I think that there's some possibility that that's uh, the existing scenario. And so what are the two biggest risks to that scenario? I think, again, I would say that the risks are, one, the lengthening of the tunnel relative to expectations, and two, the risks of what happens within that tunnel uh, when uh, relative to expectations. And then finally, the biggest risk, and this is one that I think David Rosenberg is talking about, is the risks of what happens after we've gotten through the tunnel. What is the new normal going to be relative to expectations? So those are three risks. And when people talk about white swans uh, and black swans, there's also gray swans, you know, to use Rumsfeldian uh, uh, sort of news, we would say, you know, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. These are things that we that we know are lurking out there, but we don't know what the answer is. Um, those are the things that we're you and I are talking about as realistic risks. But of course, there are also the unknown unknowns, like COVID itself, back in March of 2020 when we went into the shutdowns. Yeah, I, I still, you know, I think about what we've seen so far from markets over this COVID period. And it, I, I think it clearly pricing risk hasn't been the feature of this market. It has been, it has been uh, ignoring risk and looking forward. And so, you know, my question is how likely is the market to to react to those risks until they are acutely you know unignorable and and so you know until it's a year later and the unemployment rate is still where it is until it's 2022 and we're talking about vaccine rollout number two 
Like how long can it go on? How long can all of this go on? And that's really the big question. And that's something that I want to, you know, we sometimes do these teases, these plugs on what's coming up on Real Vision. And, and I think that's what we're going to try and do uh, in February is, is answer that question. One, is, is this, you know, underappreciating the risk? Is this a bubble? Is this market froth? And if so, how long can it go on and what potentially could be its undoing? And, and we want to bring on a whole bunch of different people to, to look at that question. Um, I'd love to get your take, Ed, on, you know, what do you think about that question? Is this a bubble? Is everything a bubble? And you know, what, what is, what makes it so? You know, what I think of it, and I was asking Rao this, we didn't have enough time to go into it because this is somewhat of a philosophical argument, but I think it is, uh, um, there's some math to it. You know, economics and finance has become very mathy. And when you and I, we're talking about risk. And when I think of risk and I think of COVID, I think of uncertainty also. Um, and I think that this is really what we're talking about. And I think that the maths of, um, of finance aren't able to deal with uncertainty. There's a guy by the name of Frank Knight, who was a uh, University of Chicago economist. And he came up with this uh, uh, way of thinking about things called Knightian uncertainty. And let me just read from what he had to say that I think makes a lot of sense in the context of what you're talking about. He said that uncertainty must be taken in a sense radically distinct from the familiar notion of risk from which it has never been properly separated. The essential fact is that risk means in some cases a quantity susceptible of measurement, while at other times it is something distinctly not of, of this character. And there are far reaching and crucial differences in the bearings of the phenomena, uh, depending on which of the two is really present and operating. So I think that we're actually in a period of uncertainty where it, it we're talking about things that are not susceptible to measurement. You know, you have digital outcomes when you when you uh, you know a zero or a one. So when you talk about the market not pricing in risk, I would say that the market's not pricing in uncertainty because they can, because it's 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 impossible to do that. You know, uh, do we price? How do we how do we price in the potential that uh, the new variant in South Africa is resistant to the existing vaccines? How do we do that? We can't. So I think this is the 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 basic problem that we're dealing with. So basically, you just have to continue on until that uh, uncertainty becomes certainty. That risk, if you will, crystallizes. And then that's when all hell breaks loose. And I think that's that's sort of what happened in March of 2020, that it was clear that to a lot of people that we were in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, the WHO didn't call it a pandemic until much later. But then uh, when the pandemic happened, when you know the economic impact of the pandemic started to become real, suddenly it crystallized and all at once uh, the market went into a panic. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, but so from somebody who's, who's interested in you know, what does that mean for somebody trying to invest? 
The question is, is the money to be made in making sure you you don't get caught up in that pricing of the risk, in pricing of the certainty, or is it in ignoring that uncertainty for long enough to build up gains that you can get out when when it crystallizes? And yeah, you you might lose some in that initial sell-off, but you've made so much on the way on the way up that that you still have the profits there. You know, which which way do you go? And then the other side is just waiting until the certainty it realized itself and sort of acting like a distressed investor going in and buying there were incredible buying opportunities in march if you were sitting in cash you didn't have to get short uh in march and, and make it all on the way down to take advantage of that opportunity so there are multiple ways to skin the cat uh, and that that's the big question for me is taking a scenario like this what are the different ways that you can play it um and i think that's one of the things that we're going to try and talk to talk about in the campaign is bring on people who who might say yeah this is i don't get it i don't get it one bit but this is how i'm this is how i'm investing to take advantage of that because i can't sit on my hands um or or sitting on their hands is their <laughs> is their mandate uh for for somebody like a like a howard marks who who is waiting for for blood on the streets to go to go jump in? So I'm excited to hear how how other investors um, are taking advantage of of this this setup because it is opportunity. Uncertainty creates opportunity. You know, uh, two thoughts on that. One is uh, just going back. You when you're previewing things that we're going to be talking about in February, uh, I think that's great, and it reminds me that we have an interview coming out tomorrow, which is one when you asked me. What I'm thinking about, it's one with Lakshman Akuthan, who basically is telling me, uh, contrary to my own personal uh, belief, that inflation, when he looks at the leading indicators, there's reason to be concerned. So when you and I were talking about the tunnel and what happens in the tunnel, as well as how long is that tunnel, he's saying that within the tunnel, you know, there's a reason to think that yield could go up that the steepening could happen before we reach the end of the tunnel and the economic uh, positivity in the post-COVID uh, era starts to really show itself. So I thought that was very interesting. And, and the second thing I thought about uh, in what you were talking about in terms of how do people deal with this, I was thinking about tail risk. Uh, Mark Buchanan is an American physicist and author who wrote a book in the year 2000 called Ubiquity, which I read way back when. Uh, and one thing he talks about is the fingers of instability uh, in, 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 and you can see in, in, um, in science, in the math of uh, fat tails everywhere in the sense that when certain things happen and you get to a certain standard deviation of, uh, you know, away from the norm, suddenly there's just like, you know, as much of a pro possibility of you going to the third the fourth, the fifth standard deviation on a, on a bell curve as there is to the 10th, uh, you know, which is something, you know, when you think about David Veniar, who was then the CFO of Goldman, he was talking about, you know, this is a 31st standard deviation move that we've seen. It's like nothing we could have ever prepared for. In a sense, that's exactly what we're talking about, that, you know, the, you, the tail risk mitigation question is, should I, is it too expensive for me to mitigate against tail risk given the potential outcomes? Or is it just like in March 2000 uh, that the Fed's got my back? And really, 
you know, even if we get a 30% down scenario, eventually I'll be made whole and we'll go to new highs again. I mean, that's really the basic question that everyone is asking themselves at this point, given what we saw uh, less than a year ago. Yeah. Well, you know, what you said about ubiquity is interesting because we did a piece with Mike Green, who was looking at, uh, it was with a guy, Gontron de Quiac. It's French, and you can probably uh, correct my pronunciation. But uh, the piece was titled, The Remarkable Frequency of Once-in-a-Lifetime Events. It, basically analyzing that and so many funds that were pricing those, you know, it's a it's a six standard deviation event. It's never going to happen. Well, it's amazing how frequently those six standard deviation events tend to happen. And it's, it's much more than once-in-a-lifetime. Um, but on on Lakshman, um, I know the piece is probably already done, but you know, I, I actually had some some people asking, like, what are the important factors to consider for inflation? And the answer I gave is, I don't know. There are so many factors that so many different people try to to put into their consideration. So I'd be interested to hear, like, what are the what are the ingredients that go into Ecri's model of inflation? How does he uh, track the inflation cycle, and, and what sorts of factors is that at all in the piece? You know, I don't know if I could say definitively because I, I know we talked about commodities, right, and, and the PPI. And I think that ECRI is somewhat, uh, you know, they have like a, a model. They don't want to give you the secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, so it's it's hard to say, you know, what where where these leading indicators are, you know, what's the the preponderance of, uh, of problematic areas where – He's saying, okay, leading indicators are telling me that inflation is bubbling up. I, I, I didn't get the impression from the interview specifically. This is what is, these are the specific indicators I'm looking at that are the problem areas. Yeah. Because, for example, to give some color, you know, some people, when you ask them why is inflation happening, it's, it's because of fiscal, it's because of the blue wave. Um, Harley Bassman, believes that inflation is is 100% tied to demographics and it's about the supply and demand of, of labor and and that we have you know a, a bigger generation coming through with the millennials stepping up into their prime spending years and that that's the real reason why he's uh, you know thinking about inflationary risks so I, I think it's it's so interesting that the difference of opinions you could have five people who are all pounding the table on inflation and you ask them why and it's all completely different reasons um, and and you know what? We probably won't know who's right, even if we get it. Um, and that's that's what's fun about this game. Uh, so uh, I, I'll be looking out for that Lakshman Achuthan interview. Um, Ed, I, we've exhausted all, all I have today to ask you, is, is there anything we missed? I mean, it was Inauguration Day uh, here in the U.S. Biden became officially the president, I think, at, at noon. Uh, any, anything in particular you want to discuss? No, you know, uh I think real vision, we're an apolitical platform. The less we talk about politics, the better. I just think that markets were up today. Uh, we didn't close on a high, uh, but we closed up, you know, over 1% on the NASDAQ, near 1% on the S&P. It was a good day. Uh, markets, they want to go higher. And uh, let's just see how long this goes on. Yeah, good day for gold as well. Uh you know, considering it's, it's had some bad days of late. Uh, interesting on, on the inauguration day to see that happen. Well, Ed, thank you so much. A lot of fun as always. You bet. Love it.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.